the week began with news of the 37 foreigners killed during the Algerian gas plant hostage-taking, I began taking note of what was happening around the world. Toronto. Court watches video of the death of Ashley Smith. Ashley killed herself in her prison cell while guards looked on from the outside. They say they were told not to intervene. Manila. A Canadian kills two in a Philippine courtroom before being fatally shot by police. Halifax. Woman acquitted after hiring a hitman to kill her abusive husband. Houston. Three students wounded in Lone Star College shooting. Montreal. 12-year-old boy to be charged after he shoots and kills his 16-year-old brother. Winnipeg. Man admits stabbing and strangling his niece after she refused to have sex with him. Bali. A British grandmother gets sentenced to death by firing squad for smuggling cocaine. Dallas. Man shoots estranged wife then kills himself at their daughter's 16th birthday. Buenos Aires. A nine-year-old boy is killed in a shooting dispute between neighbors. Toronto. Woman is stabbed multiple times and then set on fire by the father of her children. New Mexico. A 15-year-old accused of murdering his family says he planned to keep killing at local Walmart. And in Iran, thousands show up to watch a public hanging. Meanwhile, groups in the U.S. are fighting to keep their high-powered rifles because the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And in Quebec, some people think that killing the terminally ill is health care. I don't want to depress you because there are just as many, if not more, good news stories, stories of hope. But let's not ignore that the way human beings see life seems to have changed. Or has it always been this way? We have to stand for life, for all life, if we allow the legal killing of anyone in our society, under any circumstances, we are opening a door that cannot easily be closed. If we allow women to kill their unborn children, how are we going to stop grown-up children from killing their own mothers? If you're wondering why hundreds of thousands marched in Washington in the bitter cold last Friday, that's why. Because life has to be loved, served, and protected at every stage, no matter what. That's why we march. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. This week, as we observe the 40th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, we're also celebrating another anniversary because it was at the end of January of 2009 that we recorded our first Radio Hour broadcast. And this week, we begin our fifth year. So that's exciting. Today, Danny Torquia will be back with some PR advice for pro-life groups. That's going to be in about 20 minutes. And Andrew Santos and Sheridan will be joining us for their segment. And Chris Dimitrenko will be here with our news in about five minutes. In our second half hour, we're going to be speaking with John Kaiser. He's the author of The Monks of Tiberine. If you remember the film of Gods and Men about the seven French monks who were killed in Algeria, you'll know what this book is about. And our featured artist of the week is a new one, Michael James Metti. He has been writing music and doing ministry for a long time and has just now put out his second album, Bring Forth the Light. So we begin with a song from that album, Audience of One. Why do I try to please everyone? 
Michael James Meddy with Audience of One from his new album, Bring Forth the Light. And we're going to be speaking with Michael in the second half of the program. But now, Chris is here with our news. Happy New Year, Chris. Happy New Year, Pedro. Now, Pedro, who do you think would win a race of Cardinals? A running race. A running race? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Who's the youngest Cardinal? Uh, Chito, f- uh, Cardinal uh, Tagle. Cardinal Tagle, That's okay. my bet. I put uh, my, my dollars on yeah. Cardinal Tagle. Or, or maybe maybe uh, the Kenyan Cardinal from Nairobi. They're good runners. Yeah, oh, the stereotype, stereotype. Or maybe, maybe. But uh, a priest in the Vatican would like to see it happen. Monsignor Melchor Sanchez de Toca Alameda. Okay. He works for the Pontifical Council for Culture, and he heads the Culture and Sport section. This exists, a Culture and Sport section uh-huh. within the Vatican. Now, the council is organizing an international conference on sports, particularly that they want to reinstill values in sports. As we all know, there have been many scandals in sports recently, and the organizers of this conference are inviting representatives from big governing bodies like FIFA and the International Cycling Union. They're even trying to get NFL quarterback Tim Tebow, (laughs) as well as the NBA basketball player Jeremy Lin, come to the conference. Now, this Monsignor told Catholic News Service that the Pontifical Council for Culture also wants to hold something called a race of faith, and it would be a 100-meter run up the Via della Conciliazione Uh up towards St. Peter's Square in the Vatican. For cardinals. Well, uh, it would be for anyone who wants to participate. Uh, But the Monsignor said that he hopes to see a lot of cardinals in tracksuits. Nice. Now, it might be a wise plan to hold a consistory for new cardinals the following weekend. Well, that's how they elect the Pope, Uh, just have them run. uh, Exactly, (laughs) exactly. Now, another news from the Vatican Pedro, there has been a shake-up in the Catholic media world, it can be argued that the hardest working man in the Vatican could be Father Federico Lombardi. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Jesuit has been the director of the Vatican Press Office, the Vatican Television Center, and Vatican Radio. While his load has been lightened slightly, there is a new director of Vatican Television, also known as CTV. His name is Father Dario Eduardo Vigano. Uh-huh. And uh, he's a professor of theology of communications at one of the pontifical universities. Now, what does CTV do? Well, whenever you see a broadcast from the Vatican on Salt and Light or EWTN, it could be of uh, one of the liturgies of the Pope in the Vatican or one of his trips abroad. Well, we all get the signal from CTV. They give it to different broadcasters. Now, the news included the announcement that the accreditation process would be streamlined for journalists. 
and uh, and it's a rather confusing process for anybody who is coming from the outside media world trying to get accredited to the Vatican. I don't know if you had that experience yourself, Pedro, when you were there. I did not have that experience, but we've had it all had it because of World Youth Day. Oh, certainly. Yes. Yeah, it can be quite difficult. Yes. Now, finally, uh, as listeners know, uh, Pedro hosts Perspectives Weekly on Salt and Light Television. Yes. Listeners, listeners ought to know this. Yes, every Friday uh, and Sunday at 7 and 11 p.m. There you go. And I sometimes fill in as host. Well, Pedro and I had a meeting the other day to discuss ideas for upcoming shows. And we started talking about guns. Now, everyone has their own opinion about gun laws. Pedro and I have our own opinions. Maybe we can talk about that on, uh, we'll on a later date. a special uh, Salt and Light Hour, yeah. the guns edition. But uh, does the church have an opinion about guns? Well, the Vatican spokesperson does. The aforementioned Father Federico Lombardi discussed it in one of his recent editorials on Vatican Radio. Um, as you probably know, uh, the U.S. President Barack Obama wants background checks on all gun sales and he wants to ban the sale of military-style assault mm -hmm. weapons. Father Lombardi said that this was certainly a step in the right direction. And he noted that there's a coalition of 47 religious leaders seeking restrictions on uh, gun rights. Hmm. Now, the Catholic bishops of the United States have also spoken up in the wake of the Newton shootings. Uh, there was a joint statement by the chairman, the chairmen of three different committees of the bishops' conference. Now, they acknowledge that it's honorable to want to protect our loved ones, but guns are too easily accessible in the United States, they say. Now, they want what they call sensible regulations on mm -hmm. gun purchasing. Now, the bishops are also welcoming, this is interesting, Pedro, a White House proposal to study the possible links between violence and video games. Wow, interesting. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, thank you very much. Gun, gun-toting Krista Matrenko. No, I shouldn't say that. No, no. He's totally against guns, Chris, as he should be. Krista Matrenko, our news producer, if you'd like to comment on anything that you hear on this program, and we've given you something to comment, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org. You can also contact us through our Facebook page, Salt and Light, Salt Plus Light Radio. Coming up is Danny Torquia with PR tips for pro-life groups, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm Julian Cantor, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour heard online on Salt and Light Radio at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Also on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129, and on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network in Nebraska and parts of Iowa and South Dakota. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Thanks, Deacon Pedro. Hello, everyone. This week, I'd like to highlight one of my favorite, favorite saints, and that is St. Agnes. St. Agnes was a Roman girl who was only 13 years old when she suffered martyrdom for her faith. Agnes had made a promise, a promise to God, um, never to stain her purity. Her love for the Lord was very great, and she hated sin even more than death. Um, since she was very beautiful, uh, we know that many young men wished to marry her, but she would always say that Jesus Christ is my only spouse. Um, Prokop, which was the governor's son at that time, became very angry um, when she refused him. Uh, he had tried to win her for his wife with um, rich gifts and promises, but Agnes, being the beautiful young girl she was, kept saying, I'm already promised to the Lord of the universe. He's more splendid than the sun and the stars, and he has said that he will never, ever leave me. 
So Prokop got really angry, um, and out of great anger, he accused her of being a Christian and brought her to his father, who was the governor. Um, the governor promised Agnes wonderful gifts if she would only deny God, but Agnes ended up refusing. He tried to um, change her mind by putting her in chains, but her lovely face shone with joy. Next, he sent her to a place of sin, um, but an angel ended up protecting her. Finally, at last, she was condemned to death. And even the pagans cried to see such a young, beautiful girl going to death. Uh, yet Agnes was really, she was happy um, as a bride on her wedding day. She did not pay attention to those who um, begged her to save herself. She said, I would offend my spouse if I were try to please you. He chose me first and he shall have me. For that, she was let out to die by being tied to a stake. A few days after Agnes's death, her foster sister, who is Saint Emeritiana, was found praying by her tomb. Um, Emeritiana claimed to be the daughter of Agnes's wet nurse, and she was stoned to death, um, Deacon Pedro, after refusing to leave the place and reprimanding the pagans for killing her foster sister. Now, Emeritiana, or I should say Emeritiana, um, ended up being canonized later on. Um, the daughter of Constantine I, um, who was also canonized, St. Constance, was also said to have been cured of leprosy after praying at Agnes's tomb. So right now, Agnes's bones are conserved beneath the high altar in a church in Rome, uh, built over the catacomb that housed Agnes's tomb. Uh, now, this is really, really interesting, Deacon Pedro. Um, an interesting custom is observed on her feast day. Two lambs are brought from the Trappist Abbey of Trefontaine in Rome to the Pope to be blessed. On Holy Thursday, they are shorn, and from the wool is woven the pallium, which the Pope gives to a newly consecrated Metropolitan Archbishop as a sign of his jurisdiction and his union with the Pope. Now, many archbishops, uh, especially here in Canada, have this uh, pallium. Uh, St. Agnes is the patron saint of young girls. Folk custom called for them to practice rituals on St. Agnes's Eve, which is the 20 to the 21st of January, with a view to discovering their future husbands. St. Agnes is represented in art as a young girl in robes, holding a palm branch in her hand and a lamb at her feet or in her arms. In the Universal Church, St. Agnes's feast day is on January the 21st. There you have it, Pedro. Thank you, Andrew. That was Andrew Santos, our saint expert. In about five minutes, our diocesan update with Sheridan. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Emma Fred, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. My name is Deacon Pedro. You can comment on anything you hear on this program by emailing us radio at saltandlighttv.org or on Facebook. Look for Salt plus light radio and you can also write to me on facebook just look for deacon pedro and now media ministry minutes with danny torquia danny happy new year welcome back to the program delighted to be with you and, and your listeners pedro so this week um we've all been thinking about life the march for life yesterday um, I don't know if it's officially called Life Week, but I, I thought it was appropriate to ask you um, for some tips for pro-life organizations. If you think that one of the things that we can do to help the pro-life cause is through marketing and public relations. 
Well, certainly, um, you know, because I'm a believer in the, in the profession and the field, you know, communications and proactive communications is critical, especially when one has conviction. And, and, and so I think it's, in, it's definitely so important to bring this subject on the agenda uh, in our discussions and in our um, communications, both within our groups, our communities, our families, and also with the um, mass media and the public square. So what advice would you have for a, a, a pro-life group that, uh, or pro-life organization, I guess the pro-life movement in general? Yeah. Well, you know, from, the, from, a, um, from a messaging perspective, I think it's important, this is the, sm- the most tactical level, um, is to try to bring people together, try to stay positive, try to paint a picture that is um, our goal, where we want to go, uh, 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 when, you know, to paint a nice picture so that people want to walk with you for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And instead of uh, throwing up um, divisive speech, um, bitter, bitter words, uh, condemning people, instead of that, invite people into your, your loving, uh, beautiful, harmonious uh, mm-hmm. aura, which you use through your words and through our, our written word. So that that's from a messaging perspective, and we can do that by just explaining how you know most americans most canadians are in agree- agreement on life on uh, life at conception mm-hmm. uh, are that that we're not in a good place in canada with uh, f- publicly funded abortions or that there's so uh, we're all pretty much united and the numbers are actually are on our side mm-hmm. what's not on our side is perhaps um you know uh, groups of uh, lawmakers who are yellow belly or kind of a little uh, fearful yeah, uh, of, of a stink or a big, uh, you know, debate, and 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 also media. That that's a whole separate topic, Pedro. The, the state of media in, in North America is, is not that great. Um, but I have to say, there, there's been good signs. I, I want to also encourage everyone that there's been great signs out there. Do you think that it's a good idea or a bad idea? To, to make it a religious argument or to leave religion out of the conversation because it's not a religious, uh, necessarily a religious issue? Well, we don't have to. No, I wouldn't suggest leaving God out of it if God is our motivator. And the majority of, of uh, North Americans have, uh, have total agree- agreement on, on God or Creator. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I also want to point to a trend in our society, which is to say, Let's not. Let's remember that there's growth in in in. I think in the numbers of of our Muslims, uh, mm-hmm. Muslim brothers and sisters out yeah. there, and our Jewish uh, brothers and sisters out there. And it's, let's not be fearful. Just when we say God, we don't just mean Christians and Catholics. Right. Uh, but we have a growing amount of support on the abortion issue from people of other faiths. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is a universal issue. And so if people want to um, uh, avoid talking about God, they don't have to. Just be cognizant that this is even. Beyond whether or not you agree with with uh, the one creator, uh, that this is a uh, an issue that is uh, commonsensical that makes sense when you look at the facts on on what abortion does and and how women feel afterwards. And mm-hmm. really, we're here to show love for to people, whether it's uh, a grieving mother who has an unwanted pregnancy or a father, or whether it's the the the, the life that could be the beautiful life that could be. Uh, or that is, but that could be um, a, a teenager, could be, uh, yeah. has potential, life has potential. Right. D- um, just maybe in closing, Danny, if you can give us uh, a few quick tips so we can leave our listeners with something tangible that they can uh, act on. To, the best tip is to start with your own channels 
and I'll use the word our, what are our websites, our writers, our celebrities, our social media channels, our church leaders, civil leaders, who uh, we can reach with our own means without the secular mass media. And then if we affect, if we go straight to people, we will trickle into every other aspect of our modern lives and society. Okay, then, then, then I think we're doing that, actually. It just takes a long time. <laughs> yes, it, it certainly does. Yeah, good. You know what, Danny? I think that we could, we could continue this conversation, but we're going to leave it at that right now. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Daniel Torquia. Danny Torquia is a director of partnerships for Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. Hi, I'm Andrew Santos, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio, and our blog is saltandlighttv.org slash blog. And here now is Sheridan with our diocesan update. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Pedro. Do you have a New Year's resolution? I do. It's to listen to the Word of God more. I think that often I get so distracted by everything that... I've decided that this year I'm going to make sure that I listen intently, okay, and that's through I prayers, through scripture, um, and um, especially I've been enjoying morning prayer. See, you've shamed me because I was like joking, and now you have this seri- really oh, serious, <laughs> deep <laughs> resolution. It's true, it's so true. that's good. Okay, I guess we all need to uh, to listen and to pray more. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's get into those events. Convivium, which is pretty much a, a publication that's similar to First Things yep. that they have in the States, uh, welcomes Cardinal Joseph Zen to Toronto on February the 7th. Mm-hmm. So that's in just about a week from now. Right. And for those of you who don't know, the Cardinal is the former Archbishop of Hong Kong, and he is one of the most outspoken defenders of religious freedom in China. So he's going to be giving this talk at Le Parc Banquet Hall. And Le Parc is located just north of Toronto yeah, in Thornhill. Thornhill. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to go to this talk. He's, it's going to yeah, be on The Church in China, Hope for the 21st Century. Hmm. Yep. And uh, if you're interested in checking that out, you can go to go.cardis.ca slash Cardinal Zen. And uh, yeah, so the event is $600 for a parish table. And $45 for Convivium members and $75 for non-members. Okay, that should be really good. Can you just repeat the uh, the website so that people can... Uh yeah, go.cardis.ca slash Cardinal Zen. Good. Okay, and in the Archdiocese of Vancouver, this year's one conference will be held on Saturday, February the 16th at the Vancouver Convention Center in downtown Vancouver. And last year's gathering was a huge success. So this year is going to be even better. And Matt Ma will perform that concert. Oh, nice. So there yeah. one, is this a, an annual convention yeah. that they do? Yeah. Oh, I've never heard of this. One, good. Yeah. So check out rcav.org. Nice. Details. Matt Mar. And uh, speaking of the Archdiocese of Vancouver, I don't know if you've been on their website lately, but it's absolutely awesome. Uh-huh. And the reason I say this is that they've got an entire page full of resources dedicated to the year of faith. So kudos to them for taking this year seriously and providing tons of great reference material for parishioners and lay people to read. And nice. if you haven't um, done this recently as well, check out catholicscomehome.org. They are awesome. Like for anyone who is in the process of like, um, you know, maybe considering coming back to the faith or, you know, you're being asked by some of your friends, uh-huh. you know, 
oh, why do you believe in this Catholic stuff? Right. You know, this is a great resource for you. So that's CatholicsComeHome.org. Okay, good. Thank you. And yeah. yesterday was the 40th anniversary for the March mm-hmm. for Life in Washington. Yeah. Um, wow, what an important event. I was t- looking through some you know, photo archives with right. Catholic News Service, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. found this really cool photo from way back in 1975. Uh-huh. And I decided to make it the photo of the day because it's just so cool. It just reminds me that when we participate in stuff like that, we're part of history in the making. Yes, yeah. yes, good. And so the photo of the day, people can, can see it? On yeah, our, on, on our, our blog. blog. Yeah, saltonlighttv.org slash blog. Yeah, good. And in our neck of the woods, the National March for Life will take place on Thursday, May the 9th uh-huh. in Ottawa, Ontario. Last year drew a record-smashing 19,000 plus pro-lifers wow. from across Canada. So definitely go and check that out, campaignlifecoalition.com. Uh-huh. And they've got a pretty snazzy home video that they did there. It's, oh, yeah? it's good. Yes, yeah, so you should check it out from oh, last good. year's March. And um, you know what? I was surfing around the Archdiocese of Omaha's website, right. checking out what's going on, seeing what's, what's up. And I have to say congrats to them for putting together an, an amazing um, video on the Catholic school system down there. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just such a great example of how we need to get out there and invite others to support our Catholic school education systems. Okay. Because, you know, they are distinctive and there's so much good that's being done in our schools. So I highly uh, recommend that you check that out at archomaha.org slash news events slash archbishop underscore dinner okay so it's yeah. not easy to find yeah it's not easy to find and that's the only thing that i think is bad about this which is that is buried okay so great video great message yeah. but nobody's going to be able to find it yeah so maybe since we have people listening in omaha <laughs> in the diocese maybe if they can put a link on their index page or something yeah. if you think oh good there's a, some advice from sheridan <laughs> great video but move it and show it off you know yeah. it's such a great oh, initiative yeah nice good thank you very much um, there you go, diocesan update and advice, <laughs> web advice with Sheridan. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, don't go anywhere because coming up in our second half hour, Faith, Love and Terror in Algeria and a featured chat with our featured artist of the week, Michael James Metti. So don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. In 1996, seven French Trappist monks were kidnapped and killed in Tiberine, Algeria. Most of you probably have heard of this story with the release of last year's award-winning French film of Gods and Men. It's an inspiring story of faith, love, and sadly the reality that many people experience living in the Middle East. And to tell us more about this story, I'm now joined by John Kaiser, 
author of The Monks of Tiberine, the book on which the movie was based. John, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. So you're not Algerian, you're not French, you're not Muslim. What, what led you to write this book? Uh, the book, in a sense, was a uh, very long prayer of gratitude hmm. uh, for probably the richest uh, year of my life uh, spent in France in 1994-95 with right. my family, in which I encountered Catholics and Muslims and Arabs and French culture, and out of all that stew, one of the enduring relationships that uh, I think uh, changed my life was with a uh, Catholic priest who became kind of my mentor in understanding uh, better my own supposed faith as a Christian uh, and appreciating scripture in ways that I never had before. And out of that, uh, out of that experience, I uh, had this strong desire to come back to France and uh, and the story of the Trappist monks, which I learned about when I left, returned to the United States, uh, uh -huh. struck a chord, and uh, it, it gave me a way to uh, express uh, sort of a deep appreciation for the sort of spiritual nourishment that I got from Father Costa. Did you find that it was important to, well, I think you did because it's all over the book, but this relationship between Christianity or Catholicism and, and Islam, I mean, you even have uh, quotes from the Quran, and, and did you find that it was important for the story to be true, true to the story, to, to explain the, the relationship or similarities, perhaps, that of the two great faiths? Well, yeah, it needed to come out in some way. I mean, it came out very explicitly in my year in France when I took part in a Catholic Muslim, local Catholic okay. Muslim dialogue. Okay. In which... Uh, when the Muslims explain the basic uh, five pillars of what it means to be a Muslim, mm -hmm. the Catholics would say, well, those are all Catholic. Yeah, we have to pray regularly. We're supposed to pray regularly. We're supposed to mm -hmm. fast. We're supposed to uh, give alms. We're supposed to go on a pilgrimage. And, and we're supposed to believe that there's only one God. <laughs> and the Muslims say exactly the same thing with the proviso that they do add, and Muhammad is his prophet, but they don't reject all the other prophets, including Jesus. Right. N now, if that's the case, and I think this comes out in the book as well, that a lot of Muslims, at least the ones you describe in Algeria, would would uh, would respect the, the monks that were there, the Christians, because they did practice their faith, because they saw a lot of similarities in terms of those five points. So what went wrong? Well, what went, what, what went wrong was the whole environment in in Algeria in the 90s, where you had a rather nasty civil war, essentially. Uh, it was their Arabs there. It was sort of the first Arab Spring, if you will, back in right. the 90s. And what went wrong was uh, the philosophy of uh, the, uh, uh, the friend of my enemy is my enemy. And what you had was a struggle between insurgent groups and, and the government over, you know, what's it mean to be a good Muslim and what sort of a state should we have and what is justice and so on and mm -hmm. so forth, in which foreigners became targets uh, because foreigners were viewed as uh, serving the interests of the government, and most of the foreigners who were killed, which were not many in the grand scheme of things, I think it was like about uh, not even a hundred, uh, whether they were Brits or French or Filipinos were killed because they were doing something, thought to be doing something useful for the government. 
same happened with the Christian community. Christians were okay. often taking care of old people, teaching. In the case of the monks, uh, they were kidnapped, I think, for a very peculiar reason, and that was their refusal to leave. And I think the, I'm pretty sure that the gendarmerie did a deal with the terrorists and said, mm-hmm. get these guys out of here and we'll switch, we'll, we'll trade off the monks for some of your prisoners and we'll both look good. <laughs> and that went and wrong. Okay, I oh, I wanted to I want to ask you about about why they didn't leave, but uh, so so they were kidnapped or killed not because they were Christian necessarily, but because they were foreigners or both. And in, in their case, it was uh, you know Christianity has a bad smell, um, has a sort of sweet and sour flavor in most of the mi- mi- Middle East because, because it's Western. Uh, because uh, you know uh, the the symbolism of the French occupation was uh, um, the plow, the sword, and the cross. Mm-hmm. And, and even though uh, French soldiers didn't say, you know, long live Jesus when they killed people, uh, the fact is that uh, colonialism in, uh, in, in, in the Middle East and North Africa and throughout most of the world was implicitly a Christianizing mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and while Christians often, communities often did very good works, they also uh, were associated with uh, uh, a, very, a lot of very bad behavior on the part of uh, the colonizing right, forces. Of course. And, and, and so the, front, so the Trappists had a, some of that aura, but they were respected deeply by the locals, and they became a tool in a power struggle that really went beyond you know, this uh, simple Christians versus Muslims idea. Now the monks were were advised to leave, and they and they chose to stay. Is it common for Christian religious communities in Muslim countries to stay despite violence and potential threats? Well, it's an individual decision. I mean, uh, as as Christian Sherje said, our lives weren't taken; they were given. Hmm. Uh, they made they, along with the Augustinian sisters and some other, the Père Blancs, uh, they uh, knew that they were in a dangerous situation, but they shared that danger with other foreigners and mainly with Algerians who were mostly at risk because most of the people being killed were other, were, were were other Muslims. Muslims. Yeah. So they just made a decision that, you know, we don't want to be chased out of here, and we're, we have taken vows. We took a vow of stability and a vow mm-hmm. of poverty, and uh, stability means you stay put, and mm-hmm. poverty means you don't go off to the married hotel. You know, you yeah. stay with your neighbors. In solidarity, so I think it was very much the attitude of you know soldiers in a trench. You mm-hmm. know? And I think a lot of people. I mean, it's possible that some, even some listeners, aren't even sure where where Algeria is. But I mean, all last week, and the we Algeria was in the news with another kidnapping, and which did not turn out very well either. Uh, how is this? It, I mean, you talked about Algeria being the first uh, um, Arab, Spring. Arab Spring, but how are things in Algeria now? Well, it's been uh, it's been uh, tw- uh, twelve, almost twenty years, and and I would say Algeria now generally is uh, is a uh, seems to be a reasonably well functioning society, and and uh, the government I think is uh, reasonably stable. Uh, it's basically a military government clothed in democratic, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, garb, but. Uh, uh, they do have these strategic assets down in the south in the, the Sahara, uh, and right. from everything I read, uh, basically this event uh, is seems to be uh, viewed as a sort of an unintended consequence of uh, 
of several things. One are going into Libya, and uh, and and because the Berber Tuaregs were actually the bodyguards of uh, Gaddafi, yeah, and uh, a lot of the heavy weaponry was brought back out, and then the Tuaregs were armed to fight in Mali, Uh uh, where there's a civil war going on. And according to you know what I read, I don't have any special knowledge. Is this was sort of a a way to uh, attack the international community in a way that would put some pressure on them to uh, get, leave their hands off of Mali. Right, of course. Now, maybe just in closing, what what is your hope that that readers w- that readers will take from the book? Well, I, I guess what I uh, what what I would hope the readers take from the book is that they understand that uh, Islam is uh, very much like Christianity. It's got a lot of diversity, a lot of different faces and flavors, and like, uh, seems to me, most all religions, their ca- religion is capable of being amu- abused and, and used uh, for political purposes, and, and uh, this is happening in Islam today, as it is happening, you know, to a lesser mm-hmm. extent in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much, John, for, uh, for speaking with us today, for sharing a little bit about um, your, your story, and I guess for sh- writing the book and sharing the story of the monks with us. Well, thank you. John Kaiser is the author of The Monks of Tiberine, Faith, Love, and Terror in Algeria. It's published by St. Martin's Press. You can learn more at themonksoftiberine.net. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Michael James Metti, with Your Love from his new album, Bring Forth the Light. Thank you for the pain all the ways that you have captured me But set me free I'm healing like a wound Enough to know that bleeding is the cure And nothing more I drank your medicine It tasted sweeter than the stay I'm in Your love 
was Michael James Metty with Your Love from his album Bring Forth the Light. Michael James Metty has over 14 years experience in youth ministry as a worship leader, keynote speaker, workshop presenter, and retreat coordinator. He served in the Air Force also and has a degree in theology. Interesting combination. He's been married for 13 years to Michelle and they have five young children. Now, Michael's newest album, Bring Forth the Light, follows closely behind his first album, Always What I Need. The new album explores many themes, including human love, life, and the afterlife. And to tell us more about his work and about this new album, I am now joined by Michael James Metti. Michael, welcome to, Salt, to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much, Deacon. I appreciate your, uh, your inviting me here. No, for sure. Always happy to meet new artists. What? N- not that they're, you're new. You're new in my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. What was it like growing up in the Metti household? Did you, was it very musical? Was it Catholic? Tell us a bit about that. Oh, yeah. It was absolutely Catholic. Uh, I'm a cradle Catholic, and my mom and dad, uh, they always sacrificed um, to, give, to give me you know, the, the best in life. I went to a Catholic school, Catholic grade school, and high school, 12 yeah. years in this kind of small farm town uh, in rural Illinois. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember for a long time, like, just really struggling with, uh, with living out the Catholic faith, because I saw all of these examples uh, of kind of, you know, just kind of going through the motions, you might say. Right, of uh, course. And, and yeah. my heart would be stirred when I would hear the Gospel, and I specifically remember, like, when, when the priest was preaching the homily about really wanting to be more active and more involved in my faith, uh-huh. uh, but really just kind of struggling with that in this kind of sleepy, um, small town. Right. Uh, we always had music around, but um, but you know I didn't really um, I didn't always know how to express it that way. So right. Did you take lessons? Because you play guitar, right? I played guitar. I didn't pick that up until my junior year in high school, though. Oh yeah. I, I played in in band. Uh, Sister Cordula taught me how to play trombone starting <laughs> in fifth grade, right. and uh, I played trombone. I wanted to play drums, and she said we, they had too many drummers. So uh, yeah. So I played the great rock and roll instrument of slide trombone. And uh, it kind of gave me a basis, and then I, I taught myself guitar and drums and uh, piano later on. Right. Um, and I was I was really involved. Like one of the big things in in Effingham was uh, the high school musicals, and so I was involved in the high school musicals and had to lead almost every year. And that's actually where I met my wife. Right oh, yeah. after high school, we were in a musical together. Anything goes. Oh, and we yeah. were cast opposite each other. We got married in the in the show. Nice, and now you're married. <laughs> we tried in, in real life, and uh, it seems to have worked out so far. And you <laughs> sing together. Um, you break into song, like, randomly in the kitchen? Oh, oh yeah, yeah well, but we always time. have music at the Medi House. Uh, we have, um, we're always playing songs, and uh, we have dance parties and stuff. My daughters are really, uh, really, really musical. So That's right. And, have... and they're, they're really cunning. They can really identify. Um, like Annie said the one day, uh, we were talking about uh, one of my favorite bands, Gunger, and I said, uh, you like them? She goes, yeah, I do. I said, what, what, what is it that you like about them? She goes, they have really good dynamics, and they really do. Uh, <laughs> it was just very astute for a, an how eight-year-old. Old? She's eight. Yeah. So you have, is it three or four daughters and one son? Or uh, four, four girls and then uh, a boy, yeah. Michael, MJMJ, MJ, we call him. Michael Jr. is uh, nice. two years old now. Good. Now, you were in the Air Force. Tell us, tell us a bit about that. Oh, man, yeah. I was in the Air Force for four years, right out of high school. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I served uh, in Texas all four years, and uh, I worked on the B-1 bomber. I did avionics and uh, autopilot instrumentation, the flight controls, all the electronics uh, up until um, actuators and stuff. Now, w- were you but doing that as a, as a just because they pay you and it pays for your education, or were you actually thinking of a career with the, with the Air Force or Armed Forces? 
No, I never really thought of it as a career. I was really into getting an education. Um, I originally wanted to start my own company building uh, guitars and, and instruments, and so I wanted to learn more about electronics because I, I really I kind of geek out on that stuff. Uh-huh. And um, and so I went down there, and it's funny because the way the Lord worked, uh, I was a cradle Catholic, but I, I wasn't necessarily active in my faith, like I said. But we went down there, and we got involved in this um, small, you know, Hispanic church and this charismatic youth group thing, and it really just like blew my my whole conception of church and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and faith and that and really just like God used that as a stepping stone to say okay uh, here's what I have in store for you next and when we got out of the Air Force we were um, we really were, were clear like okay we, we want to get involved in ministry and and then I used the GI Bill to pay for my theology degree as you said and, and that really set our life on a course that Excellent. was uh, really working in the church nice were you already married when you were at the Air Force mm-hmm. Wow. I got married. Yeah, I got married when I was 20 years old, right out of high school. (laughs) Nice. um, Very young. So then you, you, did you start doing youth ministry and that kind of work while you were in college studying theology? Uh, Yeah. So that was another crazy time. So I got out of the military and um, I commuted to Quincy, which was about four hours away from uh, Effingham. And we were, we were dirt, dirt poor. I mean, we were living on, you know, government cheese and love at that time. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. And, uh, and so we would drive, I would drive there, and I had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday classes for the most part, and I would drive, and I stayed with a priest. There was an extra room in the rectory uh-huh. uh, from a priest who used to be stationed um, at, at St. Anthony at my alma mater. Right. And um, so I would take classes there and then come back home on the weekends and do the youth group thing and play music and lead retreats and all of that kind of stuff. And that went on for about a, uh, about a year and a half. Um, I, w- I was in there to, to get, a gr- get a degree and get out. There was a couple mm-hmm. semesters I took 26 credit hours. So a pretty insane uh, workload there. Good. but And you were doing music all throughout this time? Yeah, that's when I, I really started to do music um, for the church, kind of on the on my own, and really starting to grow into that kind of a, a, a leadership role. I remember my wife was really the one that kind of pushed me. She said, you need to not play songs, but you need to lead worship. That's where right. you need to really yes. grow. And yeah. it was really prophetic, looking back on it. Yeah. So I guess that led to then your first album, and now this second album. Can you tell us a bit about... Uh, maybe the difference. How is this album different than the first one? Well, I would say the first one. Um, the first one is, is definitely really pop, really kind of radio friendly, and uh, we did some covers that were like praise and worship covers. Yeah. Um, this one, although there are moments of of what I would say maybe like praise and worship or like personal prayer, it's not necessarily designed for for kind of communal singing. I would say this one is more kind of an artistic reflection on my Catholic faith, uh-huh. and um, and just trying to to use beauty to lead people closer to Christ, where the first one maybe is more like kind of explaining the catechism or is more kind of like talking or, or, or teaching the faith. Mm-hmm. This one is more just like, we just want to make something beautiful yeah, and no, artistic. And, 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 and I mean, and we, I've been listening to a, a lot of the music from it. It's, it's, it's really good, and I hope our listeners have been enjoying the two songs that we heard so far. Um, uh, t- tell us a bit, there's a bit of a, a, a shift in your, in your ministry now. You've, you've bought a new vehicle, and you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're going on the road. Tell us about this. Well, we're, we're about to undertake uh, a new chapter in the, in the Medi House. Um, we recently purchased an Airstream, and Airstream is a, uh, a 34-foot travel trailer. It's the biggest one they ever made. It's crazy. Uh, and it's, it's literally a, a house on wheels. It's like and, a big um, cylinder. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big... It's a, if you've ever seen them drive down the, the interstate, they're beautiful. They're all aluminum. They look really sleek and modern. Yeah. And um, so we got one of these, and we're in the process of renovating it, um, because as I continue to do music in that, um, I'm traveling around more and more. 
and as you know, I said, I'm married, I have five kids, and so I have certain responsibilities there, and you know, I want to be a part of my kids' lives in that. And there's this tension kind of between the two, between the ministry that Michelle and I are both certain that God has called me to do, and, mm-hmm. and where I feel like my gifts are really well used in the church, um, and then also you know, needing to travel and provide for my family and that. And so right. uh, starting at the beginning of May, we're going to take the family on the road, and um, my personal goal for 2013 is to play 200 concerts um, <laughs> all around the country at different nice. parishes. Um, and so we're, we're, uh, we're, like I said, we're renovating the Airstream and getting bunks built in the back and, uh, you know, lining up the tour. So you're taking uh, the starting home, in May. You, is, are your kids homeschooled or, or I guess they're, they're going not, to have they're to not be? not yet, but that's something we're, we're very open to. We, we've looked at in the past and now we're, we're going to actively transition towards. So. And is Michelle at home? Yeah, she stays at home with the kids. So, um, it, it's all, so um, that, that makes it all hundred percent of what, what supports our family is my music and, and speaking. So yeah, there's a hint to our listeners support. Michael. <laughs> um, so, so you, you will be on the road as long as it takes to get these 200 concerts done or, or I guess well, you'll... Uh, we're going to start with, uh, with a year. That's kind of our, our, our goal in uh-huh. a year. And, um, so we'll see. Um, we'll see where it goes from there. But that's kind of um, yeah. That's that's what we're working towards. So nice. You know what? There are. I'm sure you you've met some of them, but there are other artists that are doing the same. I know there's two two Canadian Catholic artists that uh, have bought RVs and take the whole family on the road. Um, Gerald Montpetit and uh, and Mark Mallet. Uh, uh, they've been uh, uh, doing. Uh, exactly what you want to do and and successfully so yeah um, yeah i'd love to connect with them um anyway thank you for uh sharing a little bit of your life and your music with us um it's great to meet you and uh good luck i i hope our listeners uh, are, uh will uh find find out more about you and 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 to see if we can get your music out there that'd be great thank you so much Deacon. i appreciate your time you're welcome that was our featured artist of the week michael james metty you can learn more about Michael at his website, michaeljamesmetty.com. And Metty is M-E-T-T-E, but we'll put that link on our site so that you can find it easily. Here now is Michael with the title track of his latest album, Bring Forth the Light. Twilight yields its place as nighttime slips away Through the gray of another day like a melancholy
listening to Michael James Metty with Bring Forth the Light. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs on our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where you can now listen to uninterrupted music all day long. Check it out, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. We are part of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. You can learn all about us at saltandlighttv.org. Write to us and send us your thoughts, especially we want to hear from our new listeners in Nebraska, Iowa, and South Dakota. If you're listening from those states, send us an email. You can contact us also through Facebook. Look for us on Facebook, Salt Plus Light Radio, um, and like us if you like what we do. Thank you for your generosity, for your prayers. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.